But before we go into a bit of the breakdown of the vision of Everlife Church, um, I just wanted to share a little bit about my personal story um, and a little bit of Jess's because it's our story that's helped to really bring definition to what we are doing, to what our heart beats for. Um, if, if you like, our bus is going to Melbourne and whoever wants to jump on board is welcome. It's kind of like uh, the same with the church. Our bus is heading in this direction and we would love as many people to join us as possible because we need people to make sandwiches. We need people to like, help us to find the way. We need all kinds of people to fix the mechanics on the bus on the way. You know, this isn't a one person or, a, or one couple show. This is something that we need so many people in the variety of giftings to happen to get us there safely. And so for me... I remember one of the best years of my life was in year 10 at school. At Bethel Christian School in Albany. It was awesome. We were like the top of the school. The oldest of the school was awesome. I was in a gang called the four W's. Our last name started with W's. Wheatcroft, Williams, Wilson and Webb. There you go. And, um, and it was awesome. You can tell. It was the best year of my life. <laughs> um, but at the end of this year, um, Dad sat me and my siblings down in the, in the Christmas holidays, two young brothers and a sister, and told us that he, he was going to be leaving our family. And, um, and it's funny because I look back and I see other people that don't appear to be as affected by this um, as I was, but I was deeply affected by this. Um, I was deeply wo- wounded and, and, and rejected. I had no idea. of All of a sudden, that, that what, what was a sure thing in terms of the future became foggy. Um, it, 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 it kind of set me into a place where I found myself in, in deeper and deeper levels of depression. I'd be sleeping in. I, I meant to go to school. I'd rock up at school late. I uh, went and saw the doctors and got on depression, um, antidepressant medication. Um, and, and I was feeling kind of so low at this time. Um, but then on top of that, uh, my mum actually got breast cancer around that stage. And so she got really sick and she was coming out to Perth with radiotherapy and, and treatment. And all of a sudden I'm going, my dad did this. Yet at the same time, do I belong to him? Do I belong to my mum? And this is happening. And I just felt like my life was falling apart at the seams in like just a real short amount of time. What was once a solid ground that I was standing on became the carpet was bricked out underneath my feet and I found myself in free fall. And so when you're free falling, what do you do? You just try to grab onto something, anything to stop you from landing at the bottom. And so I began to reach out to all the kind of things that give you instant gratification but leave you feeling even more empty on the inside. And so... Uh, not only did I feel depressed, isolated, looking for a place to belong, but then I began to feel so guilty, so ashamed because of the things that I did that I knew weren't life-giving decisions, but I knew left me in a wake of guilt and, and, and deep levels of shame. And so I remember feeling so isolated, so down. I was feeling, uh, you know, I projected an image in front of my friends that I was all good, like, yeah, party. Um, and they were relatively convinced, apart from a few cracks there. But, you know, I'd be laying late at night on my bed at home, looking up and just wondering where I belong. I remember even looking at the mirror in myself, to, at myself, and literally saying to myself that I hate you, to myself. Like, I literally hated myself back then. I, and it's full on to say now, because I love myself now, <laughs> in the most <laughs> healthy way possible. <laughs> um which is good as evidence of God's work in my life. But, you know, shortly after this, there was a season in my life where God began to reveal himself for real in my life, where it wasn't just an inherited faith from my parents, like Jordan was talking about, but I began to encounter the reality of the beautiful grace of God in Jesus, where God is so loving for me, 
The Bible says that God sent Jesus into the world not to tell us off with his big wooden spoon, not to condemn us or give us a big smack, you try harder. But actually, God sent Jesus into the world to save us because, you know, we, we need saving, I need saving. And for me, I began to encounter this beautiful, most precious gift of the grace of God shining in Jesus, that God would send Jesus to die, to take the penalty for my sin. That instead of me feeling guilt and shame, Jesus took that guilt and shame upon himself. That I could be free. That I could be filled with the peace of God. That for me, when I was isolated from God, I found a place to belong because Jesus rejected so I could be accepted. And not only that, but because Jesus, after his death, he resurrected three days later that God could give me hope even beyond this broken life, which is so many promises, but so many of them could be shattered in an instant as well. And so for me, I encountered the reality of the grace of God that brought joy into my heart, but then also began to discover the love of God as expressed in being like a father, like being a dad that will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. For me, when I tried to, in one moment, I was trying to get identity and worth from what other people thought of me, from my successes or, or whatever it might be, where my identity was built on such a fragile foundation that could crumble in an instant or literally was crumbling all of a sudden when God invited me to be part of his family I found that I walked into a house where the foundation would never crumble where I became secure where once when I was so intimidated once when I was so insecure about myself all of a sudden this security began to rise up in my heart where I knew who I belonged to now, come what may through the valleys through the mountaintops through the the highs and the lows I knew that I had someone who loved me who would give me wisdom, who would lead me through thick and thin, who would give me the wisdom I needed to address all the unpredictable things of life. And I began to discover this love. And guess what? I wanted everyone to know about it. And so when I moved from Perth, from Albany to study at Perth, studied at TAFE Building Design and Drafting, I was on fire. I'm looking to pray, God, use me. I'll make myself available. Do whatever you want with me. And I remember going on, on the buses, on the trains. I was that guy. Um, I'll, I'll be talking to people, asking if I could pray for them. And I remember asking my TAFE lecturer, hey, can I get up in front of the class and say something sometime, please? She's like, yeah, go for it. Maxine was her name. She's a legend. And I got up and was like, hey, um, I'm a Christian and stuff and like, go to church and things. Um, if any of you want to chat about it later, I'll be keen as bro. Um, and then, shock up my life, people actually talked to me about it. And um, the funny thing is, fast forward 10 years later, one of the conversations I had was a spark that caused this guy, discovered only recently, that that was a spark for his own journey. And since then, he'd given his life to Jesus. And he says that that was one of the things that kick-started his whole process. Glory to God. So good. Got to use someone like me, you know. If God can use a broken mess like me, he can use you. He can do something great in your life. I remember going into the laundromat. So I remember taking my guitar into Northbridge in the early hours of the morning. You know, Northbridge, when you got the nightclubs and people walking around the glow sticks and, hey, woo! And I'd be like, Jesus, you know, <laughs> there with my guitar, doing worship in the streets. I'd get all kinds of names and abuse. But then, in, in the other hand, there'd be people weeping and tears. I'd be praying for people. And for me, I, I didn't care. I didn't care what people thought of me because I've found, it's like when you find this awesome restaurant. When you look at the sunset, you're like, you just want everyone to see it. Come on, come on, come on, check it out. Hey, man, you've got to try this restaurant. I'm like, just take a look. He's so awesome. This is something I've encountered. For me, I had this, this, this um, revelation of how short life is. You know, we feel like life is long, which it is. But it's also so short. 
And I've got this conviction. I want to make the most of it every day. I want my life to count for eternity. You know, we, we prepare to go to school. We prepare at school to go to uni or TAFE or whatever. We work hard to prepare for retirement. And at retirement, we live in the last 5, 10, 15 years. But hardly any of us prepare for eternity. And the invitation for all of us is to go, God, I want to prepare for eternity. I want my little life now to count something that will last forever. And this is what set Jess and I on a journey. While I was going through my little things in Perth, Jess is helping to plant Nations Church, one of the most influential churches in Perth. And, and, and you know, when Jess and I got married in um, Albany, God called me to go back to Albany. We started working with youth, youth and young adults and on the executive team at a church down there. We've also spent the last four years in Melbourne at a church of about 4,000 people, um, most of that time as mission pastors um, there at that church. But over the years, God had really put a desire in our hearts to plant or start a church. And, and the reason why God had put in our hearts to plant a church wasn't just so we could have another church. There's plenty of churches out there. But we believe and are convinced that the most effective way to reach people with the love of God is for more churches to be planted. For the gospel, the local church is the hope of the world that carries the good news of God's love to the world. You know, when I was 17 years old, someone said to me, you should be a pastor when you grow up. And the church that I was at at that time, I looked at the pastors and I thought, no, I don't. <laughs> I do not want to be that. I don't want to be a pastor. No way. I mean, leadership? Who wants leadership? I mean, I'm an Australian male. We do everything we can to avoid responsibility. And I don't want to be a leader because if you put up there, the Australian culture is you're up there for the picking to be pulled down to size. And in my insecurity, I didn't want that. But when God began to speak to me about the kingdom principle of multiplication, that in order for me to see greater impact, to see more people in heaven in eternity, to party in heaven with more people, to make it the most epic place ever, I was willing to step into leadership to bear this responsibility of planting a church. And so for Jess and I, we moved over a year and a half ago to plant this church, and we've had an amazing team that's helped us to plant this church. And, you know... Our church is all about people. It's not about programs. It's not about the building. It's all about precious people, every single individual, no matter where someone is at, no matter where someone is. And so when people ask us, do you want to say a small church or go to a larger church? Well, my answer is, well, all that matters is one person, one person. But I tell you what, there's a lot of one people out there. There's a lot of people out there that Jesus has died for every single person. It's not, there's not one single person where I think, it's okay, they don't need to know. I'm like, I want to do whatever it takes to reach the 92% of people in Perth that don't yet know about Jesus, that have yet to really taste the love of God in their hearts. Um, and so we have a vision at church that's really simple for us, which I'm going to quickly go over. But then I'm going to really park and, and focus on the third part of our vision at church. And so the first part of our vision at church, or our vision really simply to state, is to know. That's good. Thanks, Flick. A plus. Scratch and sniff snicker, please. <laughs> Who like those scratch and sniff stickers? Don't you love them? I like the apple flavor. Ah, just kidding. You know what I'm talking about? Teachers? Teachers, anyone? <laughs> so our vision as a church is to know, grow, and go. First of all is to know Jesus. We want everyone to know Jesus because we believe that no matter what 
relationship you have, no matter how much money you have, no matter what your status in life is or on Facebook might be, that what the most important thing in life that would truly satisfy you is to know your Creator, is to know God. It's said, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true that God has put, a, that there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that only God can fit that only God can feel when we try to pour everything else in there, Netflix, um, other relationships, other things that make us feel good for a moment, but only a relationship with our God can truly satisfy us and truly gives us hope for the future. And, you know, we are unapologetic about our message about Jesus, that we had a God that would step into our earth, that would die on the cross, naked, bloody, bruised at the hands of the very ones he created because he laid down his life humbly for us we have a king who died for us and wants to give us this gift of forgiveness this gift of eternal life to anyone who would simply say yes to him and for us we want to store we want to do everything short at doing something illegal um, to do whatever it takes to see that everyone would have the opportunity to know Jesus a second part of our vision is that we want to grow together we want to grow together and we, don't, we believe that true growth happens not in isolation into a corner somewhere. And um, we believe that isolation is something that, the, um, that is harmful to us. And there's a great epidemic of, of loneliness in, the, in Australia at the moment. But what God wants to do is invite us into community. He wants to invite us into family because we believe that the, the greatest determiner, the greatest thing that will determine your level of growth in life and in faith are the relationships that we have. It's all about the relationships we have. You can as much, have as much head knowledge as you like, but it's the relationships where you're able to be authentic with one another. When you're able to get down in someone's mess or someone's willing to step into yours and then they still stick around, you're like, you're still here? And they're like, you're still here? It develops this trust and this intimacy and you're able to really share openly and authentically with one another. And that's when you have true growth in your life. You can know as many Bible verses as you like, but unless we are able to really authentically journey, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. It's, it's love that God is after. And so what we do as Everlife Church is we don't leave it to chance, although there's a whole lot of connections that happens on Sundays and throughout the week. But we don't leave it to chance, which is why we've got, our strategy is weekly dinner parties. Um, some churches have fortnightly gatherings and, and connect groups, but we have such a, with such a, a primary um, focus and value on relationships. So we have dinner parties every single Thursday night. And, and we've seen lives transformed simply. We make it really simple. Just turn up for dinner parties and your life will be transformed. It is honestly that simple. And it is so true that as people continue to position themselves in a place where they can build authentic relationship, your faith will grow. Not only your faith, but also other aspects of your life. The whole person will grow. If you just continue to rock up on Sundays, it's really simple. Thursday night dinner parties, Sunday services. I can tell you what, if you just commit to doing that, nothing more, your faith will grow exponentially in three months, in six months. I like what Jordan said. I'll give you six months, God. <laughs> He'll take that. Um, we want everyone to know, know Jesus, to grow together, and to finally to go with purpose. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, in, in 2, verse 10 in the Bible says that we have been created anew. We've been upgraded. We've been reset with the greater model. We've been created anew in Christ. What? For what for? To do the good things, to live the great adventure 
that he's got planned for, one, for every single one of us. I love what Jordan said about how God is the best steward of our lives. I mean, we've been alive for like, what, I've been alive for 37 years. You think that God would know how to do life a little bit better than me? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I think he does. And, and God has designed us for a purpose, a unique purpose that he's got for us. So our heart for you is that in your life, for the rest of your life, but also us collectively, that we as a church would go into our world with purpose and make a difference a difference in people's lives in this life, but also for eternity as well. And so what we are going to be doing is talking about, just in the last few minutes, is talking about this whole go aspect. For us, a part of it means to serve at church and be part of the team. But I'm talking now about an outward-looking church that wants to make a difference in the lives of people beyond our four or 24 walls of this church. And so what we've done is we've broken these areas down into three parts. And I'm going to go through them. And, and this is what our vision offering is going to go for, go towards. Um, we'll be going towards these aspects of our vision. And so we've broken it up into three categories. It's local, global, and sowing into our future. And so we're going to start off by looking at what we're doing at a local level. And, um, and really practically now, what we want to do as a local church is, again, really keep things really simple. If we do a whole lot of things for a whole lot of people, we'll become like ambient light. It, it, it's all right, but it's, it has no effect. But we want to be a magnifying glass and have a few focuses that we can have a great impact in. And so one of those focuses that we want to have um, at a local level is to go and empower and impact schools. Because we believe that if we want to impact a generation, then we want to reach young people. We want to reach young people because there's an epidemic of of identity. There's an epidemic that we know of that there's um, young people that struggle in a massive way with their own worth, their own identity. There's great levels of anxiety, of, of loneliness out there. But what we believe is if we can bring a message that they've been created for a purpose, that they have unique, eternal value in God's sights, that rather than putting their focus or their worth derived from what their reputation might be at school or how someone um, interacts with them at school, but what we want to say is you have been created for purpose. You've got destiny. You are precious in the sight of God. And so what we're doing is we're actually um, uh, um, pouring resource into our youth team who are really making an impact in schools. And just on um, last week, I think it was Thursday or Friday, Jaden and our schools team met with a chaplain at Mount Lawley um, Senior High School, which has got about 1,200 students. And the chaplain at the school has opened the doors for us to come in and, and we're going to be doing a breakfast club and, and cooking pancakes to develop relationships with them. There's opportunity for us to go in and, and, and do um, information, sort of um, empowering um, courses with teenagers, but also we've been given access to 150 teenagers there, um, and a few of our crew are going to be part of the mentorship program. They've been crying out for volunteers, for people to come in and mentor these kids. They're desperate for it, and guess what? Our people, including one of them, Jordan, has put their hand up to say, I'm, I'm available. Don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, come on, let's give them a round of applause. It's so good. You know, we, we want to see... Um, we want to see God open the supernatural doors for not only Mount Lawley, but we're believing for doors to open to us in Churchlands, uh, Senior High School, also the new Bob Hawke School that's just opening up, the newest one in the um, inner city in Subiaco, and also probably Perth Modern. And we're in, in conversations with them. But we, we want to see God reach a generation with the love of God. You know, there is this statistic that 80% of people come to faith before the age of 18 as well. And so what we want to do is just provide a place for these teenagers to belong. You know, for me, I remember when I was in my teenage years, if there was something around like this in my teenage years, 
where there was just a group of young people on fire for God who would love me and take me as I am, I think that my life might have looked a little bit different back then. Um, something else, and the, the one other thing we're doing this year in terms of focusing locally is that we want to get behind a place called Pregnancy Problem House. Um, Pregnancy Problem House is really dear to Jess and I because um, our first baby actually died in Jess's womb at 17 weeks. And it was one of the most traumatic, um, sad things that we've been through. And um, we, we, we delivered our baby, Jedediah, um, and, and he, was, he was there, we saw him, and he went to go to heaven to be with God. And we tell our younger siblings, uh, younger siblings, our, our kids, about Jedediah, their older brother who's waiting for them in heaven. We're going to see him one day, um, which we can't wait for. But for us, this, this great loss in our lives, we, we never want to see this happen if it's unnecessary. And so what Pregnancy Problem House do is they want to come alongside women who've had unexpected pregnancies or in such a difficult time and they're faced with these really challenging choices that, we're, that they want to make. And this Pregnancy Problem House has such phenomenal staff that come alongside women in their, most, their greatest time of need and they look for a way to help them out of the hole to give them the best shot of bringing their precious child into living a life. Because we believe that every single life has eternal worth. And so we want to do whatever it takes to see these women empowered and given the best shot they can to bring these beautiful children into the world, to see them fulfill the destiny and the plans that God has for them. Can I hear an amen? amen. Come on. And so that's something that we're doing at a local level. I'm really excited about that. What we're doing at a global level is we have a primary one focus in the country of India, the nation of India. Um, there is hundreds, as we know, of countries out there. There are endless opportunities out there. Let me tell you, as being mission pastor for two and a half years at a big church of 4,000 people in Melbourne, let me tell you, there's no limit to the things we could do. There is no limit. But what we want to do, it's really hard to say no to so many great things, but we want to say yes to this one thing. You know, North India is the greatest concentration of those that have never heard the gospel. There's 400 million people that live in North India that have never heard the gospel in their life, never been given the opportunity. Not only that, but in India is the greatest concentration of people that live in poverty in the planet. If you take the five, five poorest countries in Africa and unite them together and dump them in India, that, that is what India is like. And so for me and for us as a church, I love us to be focusing on North India. You know, we can, we can come alongside these women and children and see them empowered to get out of poverty. But the greatest poverty that we want to see change is spiritual poverty. See, in, the, in that country where there's the, the Hindu religion, although it's, it looks good on the surface, what the religion is all about is what sacrifices these people need to make to appease the angry gods. You know, there's some accounts of people that would even whip themselves and their kids to drain out blood into a jar to offer their blood as a sacrifice to one of their hundreds and thousands of God. They live in a, in, in a state of great oppression where depending on what caste system that you are born into, if you're at the lowest caste system worth less than rats, which the majority of India um, is in, then you are oppressed. But when you come into a nation like that and you say, do you know what? God loves you so much. You're created in the image of God. Then all of a sudden they find that they've got this worth where they're empowered then to step out of poverty rather than living in a very apathetic life. And God invites them to find their true identity in Christ. You know, I remember sitting down with one of my friends from Nepal, also from a Hindu background. 
And he was in tears in the car one night, sitting down the beach. In tears to me, he looked at me and said, I've never heard of a God that would want to sacrifice his life for me. He's like, my religion is always about what I can sacrifice for my God. But I've never heard of a God that would love me so much that he would sacrifice his life for me. And this is what we want to do. We've got um, great organisations that we want to partner with in India. Jess and I went to India on a honeymoon, on a honeymoon as you do. Um, we went to Thailand and India and Nepal. And as part of our honeymoon, I dragged Jess around the countryside and into slums and <laughs> everything. And, um, but we met some great people over there. We've got really good relationships, including Pastor Marlo, um, who are li- working in slums, who are going out to plant churches and communities that can go out and, and bring not only the love of God in terms of um, a spiritual message, but also can come and, and release people from poverty, empower women and, and, and equip people with micro-enterprise to help them get out of poverty as well. And I'm really excited about that. And we're announcing that we're taking a team to India next year in October-ish. So, yep, you all clap because you're all coming. Let me know church next October. We're having church in India. Everyone say namaste. Everyone say apkanam gehe. Just showing off now. <laughs> That's what is your name. Shafin. There you go. Um, at a global level, we also want to invest into HarvestNet. HarvestNet is a church planting organization we're a part of, and we want to see more churches planted around Australia and the world. Also, we want to invest into digital. You know, there's something that we call the digital church, where we're all online, right? Probably 90% of our lives are online. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, but we have a digital footprint where we want to invest. Rather than using my phone right there and a microphone, we want to invest into quality live streaming cameras and equipment where we can take the gospel beyond our walls and impact people all over the world with what God is doing through here uniquely at Everlife Church. Um, also, not only locally, globally, but we also want to invest in the future. We want to invest in the future because this isn't just about us here now. This is about us building something that will last for generations and have an impact that will last further than you and I. And so this is why we want to invest into leadership as a church. We want to invest into our interns. We want to invest into raising as many leaders as possible because Bill Harbour says that the church is the hope of the world and its hands are primarily rests in the hands of its leaders. And so we want to see as many people rise up in leadership and take the call of God We've got a potential leader right here. Thanks, Ben. Hey, with Elisa. And also, and I'm really, really excited about this, right? This is pretty daunting, but at the same time, I've got the faith for it. This is the last thing I'm going to mention. You know, we want to build for the future. And we want to set up a building fund for us. At the rate at which we're growing, we're going to outgrow this place within a few months, I believe. And if we waited till then to start preparing for this, it'll be too late. But I believe that God wants us and He's calling us to invest into the future that we could buy a building or that we could lease a building and, and see it fitted out with an auditorium of about three or four hundred seats and that'll have enough room for us to have great kids facilities a great big foyer enough for a cafe there enough parking come on um, if we have an auditorium of about three or four hundred people we'll be able to see our church grow to over a thousand people if we had two or three services throughout um, every weekend and so what we want to do is build for and prepare for the future and, um, and, and this is just the beginning, I believe, about what God is doing in this place. And all of us are invited to be a part of this great adventure. And so really what we want to do, what we want to do is ask you, would you pray? I'm not asking you for your hard-earned money, but what I'm doing is directing you to God and say, would you pray and ask God, God, what would you like me to sacrificially invest and give 
into what you are doing at such a time as this. You know, for Jess and I throughout our adventure, there's been times in our life where God has invited us to give sacrificially into the vision of other churches that we've been a part of. And I can tell you what, it is so rewarding. There's a great joy that comes with knowing that you've been a part of something so much greater than yourself. And there's something that happens when you give sacrificially. There's something that happens on the inside as well. Something that shifts on the inside. But you become so much more freer. There's a lightness that comes where rather than holding on to money, money having a hold on you, you get a hold of God. And you have a level of freedom that comes into your life as you give generously. And there's a great joy that comes around when we can do that together. And the truth is that as we give generously, we become more like Jesus, who held nothing back for us, but generously gave His life for us. And so this is a real opportunity where we can give something tangible, invest something into what God is doing now. Not only volunteering, not only being part of this, not only being part of dinner parties and bringing your strength, but also going, God, I want to invest this into you. This is what I want to do. So what I want to invite every single one of you to do is to pray and ask God, God, what would you have to me to sacrificially give and invest into what you're doing for Everlife Church? And in two Sundays' time, we're going to be taking up an offering. Um, we'll just put the ways to give just on the screen behind me again. If you're visiting here today, from the bottom of my heart, like Dan said, please feel under no obligation. This is, this is not a hard sell. <laughs> this is an invitation. Hey, who wants to be a part? of this, what God is doing. And so if you're visiting and, and there's something in you that says, yeah, I, I want to invest into this, then we've got our bank account details and our website, which is everlife.church. And you can find out our bank details there. You can text that number on the screen and you can be, you'll be giving a link that will allow you to give online as well. And we've got um, cash facilities out there at the giving and information station. And also there's a cash box where you can give cash if you're weird enough to carry around cash these days. Um, <laughs> that'd be cool don't put your hand up <laughs> that's awesome hey I'm, I'm going to pray and um, I've just got one more thing to share which I believe is a word from God and, and this is slightly longer than usual but you know there's Noah and his ark remember Noah and his ark where there was a flood that was going to come and Noah was told by God to build an ark God gave him a blueprint to build this ark and Noah built the ark despite his family ridiculing him his friends ridiculing him, but Noah stuck true to the vision. Let me tell you, if you've got a vision in your life, you might have your haters around you, your mockers, especially the devil. What do you think you're doing? It's never even rained before. We're in a desert and you're building a boat. You're crazy. You're crazy stepping out in faith to start a new business or to move here or to do that or to get involved in church or to do an internship or whatever it might be. But let me tell you, persist with the vision. And get this, when, when Noah finally built the ark, when the flood water started to come, he loaded up the boat with animals and his family was safely inside. Guess who shut the door? It was God himself who shut the door. And what I believe God is saying, is what happened with Moses was there, was God shut the door to everything that, Moses, that Noah and his family had ever known. The door was closed on the world that they once knew. But it was essential to close the door on the world that, that, that they once knew so they could go on that boat and when the floodwaters subsided, that they can step into a brand new world that God had for them. And I believe that there's some people here today where you think that the doors have been closing in front of you or around you, and you're like, God, why? And I just have a sense that for some people in, in this room that God has been closing the doors, not to wreck your life, not to rob from you, but to close the doors and what you've known because His invitation 
invitation is into so, something so much greater and a life that you have no idea that He's got for you. You know, this ark also represents what Jesus has done for us. We, we come to the ark of God that helps us to rise above the floodwaters of judgment, that we might be safe in Jesus. And so can I just have everyone standing with me tonight? And I believe this word is for, for some of you here tonight. It might be for all of you, but I'd just love you to close your eyes right now. And I'm just going to pray before we sing, before we sing this song. I'm just going to pray for us and just believe that tonight that God is going to be implanting new vision in people's lives, that God is going to give you the power to let go of things that you've held on to for so long. I believe God is going to give you the power to let go so that you might step into a new season that God has for you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for every single person here watching and listening online, every single person in this room tonight, Lord God. And I just thank you tonight, Lord God, for a new season, Lord God, for new things that you have, God. And I pray, Lord God, that as you shut the door, Lord God, that you would fill people here with the courage to let go of the things that have once defined them, Lord God, and to turn around and to take hold of your hand, that you would lead them into a new destiny and a new hope for the future. In Jesus' name.